Hi, you're about to listen to an episode of Borough Talks, a podcast from Borough Market. A very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to be bringing you a series of conversations around food and food culture with some inspiring guests and leading voices from the food industry. I'm your host, Angela Clutton. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Borough Talks. And if you do, you can subscribe for more from us. Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome to Borough Talks, which is Borough Market's podcast. I um, am Angela, and I am here today with Claire Finney and Chantelle Nicholson. Um, And we are recording this um, early March because International Women's Day is, as we sit here, on the horizon. You may be listening to it on International Women's Day. And we're going to be talking about... Well, really sort of the breadth of life for women in food, um, the challenges, possibilities, the opportunities and all the rest of it. Um, some quick introductions um, as if they were needed for Claire Finney, who I wrote down <laughs> was a friend of the market. And then I actually crossed that out and wrote family. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> because you are. You know, yeah. to market. Anyone you know, who's listened to this and has read Market Life will know your work you know, very, very well. Um, you also write for lots of other publications. And, uh, and the reason particularly that you're here with us today is that you recently released a book called The Female Chef. Obviously, very opposite for today's topic. Um, and that's going to form the basis, really, of our conversation today. Um, it features 31 female pioneers, yes. is that right? Yes. When was it out, Claire? It came out in... September 2021. Also an interesting time to be writing and releasing. Yes, absolutely. Compiling a book in a pandemic that features 30 restaurants was, well, not 30 restaurants, but, you know, 31 chefs was um, a challenge, all of its. And and we're definitely going to get into that about thinking about, you know, what the pandemic meant in terms of women and women in in the industry Mm. as well. And one of those 31 female pioneers is, uh, fairly obviously, why else would she be here? Chantelle Nicholson, um, multi-award winning chef. Um, I was going to kind of go through a list of places that you've done. I'm not sure we'll sort of touch on those things as we go along, but I think let's just dive straight into what's next, because I think that is incredibly exciting. You're about to open a new place, yeah? I am, yes. So middle of April. Um, um, just to repeat, we're recording this in March and Chantelle is sparing us time. <laughs> Actually, like, so this is what time are we on? We're about quarter past nine in the morning. Chantelle at 6.30 this morning was at her restaurant doing chairs, is that right? Unloading chairs and Unloading tables. Unloading chairs. Yes, to be sanded next week. Tell us about the new place. So Apricity is in Duke Street in Mayfair. Um, very much about, yeah, I guess for me it was about something that was a bit more than the sum of its parts. So really focus on the team, but focus on trying to be as sustainable, for want of a better word, as possible. So kind of looking at the circular economy and how to, I guess, do more good than what we kind of than do bad. So net positive, but on a 360 degree in terms of people, um, as well as the actual operation itself. Loads to get into there about what that all means, but let's stick with um, this gorgeous word, apricity. What does it mean? It means the warmth of the sun in winter. I knew that and I just love it. I just, it's, so isn't beautiful. it just gorgeous? Yeah, yeah. It is quite melodic, isn't it? It really is. Mm. Um, and it's, so it's all about you, well, you say, you say it's, it's, what did you say? What's the yeah, regeneration. The yeah, yeah, so it's about that kind of, you know, the regeneration of how you, you know, in winter when you're quite cold and this, what that sun does to you yeah. when it's just that amazing kind of light and warmth. Yeah, gorgeous. It makes you automatically want to go there, doesn't it? Yeah, oh. yeah, completely. <laughs> Um, Claire, why did you write this book? Well, it was initially, um, I was initially approached by Hoxton Mini Press with a very sort of loose idea that 
they almost apologised for in in uh, suggesting it to me <laughs> because they wanted to do a book about female chefs, but they didn't want to run the risk of it being patronising, of it being reductive. They weren't sure whether it was relevant anymore, whether it was going to be a bit, to quote them, 2006. Um, and so they wanted to know whether I could do it in a way that rendered it relevant and, and necessary um, and interesting. And I was quite wary, to be honest. I, I thought this could be a bit of a poison chalice um, and spoke to... And then lockdown hit. <laughs> and I went home, home to my mum's and I had very long conversations with my mum and also with my grandma who was on her own over the phone and my grandma was herself a chef um, but always called herself a cook. Uh, she ran a hotel and led the hotel kitchen so she was wow. you know I, I've always thought of her as a chef she's always insisted she's a cook and so we had lots of conversations about that the difference or the perceived difference between those two words and what they mean and why why our interpretations of them have become so gendered, really, over, particularly in this country, it's it's less true um, around the world. And so really, with it was with their help that I formulated my pitch to Hoxton Mini Press, which centred around um, the relationship between chef and cook and looked at, that gathered together, you know, some of the most game-changing female chefs in Britain and looked at what they were doing through that lens and really focused on not so much the quote-unquote kind of male metrics of success like Michelin stars and uh, press coverage and TV accolades and so on but looked at chefs who were doing something really positive in other ways and you know which is why Apricity is such a fine example of that you know what Chantel's done with um all's well and treadwells, but then, you know, going forward, looking at regeneration. And yeah, I think the um, chefs in the book really do, I hope they really do fit the bill. And it goes without saying that I could have gone on and on and it yeah. could have been 50 chefs and it could even be 100 chefs now. It's changing so fast. Yeah. This chef-cook axis is something which um, you sort of begin the book very much kind of focused upon and then I think in a really lovely way it then just becomes about the women and about their mm. stories and and it sort of lives through that. But Chantelle, how do you feel about the kind of chef, cook? If I'd introduced you as an award-winning cook, would that bother you? It wouldn't bother me. I think um, that, yeah, it would bother some people. Mm. Um, I think that... Would it bother some women or would it bother some men? I think it would probably bother more men, if, I, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, I think for me they are quite interchangeable and I think that, you know, a lot of, you know, and for me in particular, women in my family, so my, you know, aunts, grandparents, grandmas, nena, um, you know, were amazing cooks and could they have been chefs? Absolutely. But I think it's, you know, it's time and place as well. Mm. Um, but I think it, in its true essence, you know, being a chef is about cooking. So in a way they, they should really be... Um, interchangeable in some yeah. respects. I do get very um, upset if I'm doing, or defensive actually probably is the best word, if I'm doing a demo or something and the sort of, you know, what's it says, you know, chef, Angela Lutton, because I'm desperately not. You know, I am very, you know, I'm a food writer and mm. I cook, but I'm not trained. You know, I don't work in a restaurant and I feel that that, 
actually, I feel that that's insulting to you and to all the other people who do, who are trained and who do do those things. And so it sort of upsets me for those reasons. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite complicated, isn't it? It's so people's different perceptions. Yeah, because it. in a way, you know, that reaction of yours sort of kind of implies that a cook is lesser than yeah, a chef. Yeah, I guess that's right. And, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be the case at all. That yeah. is, again, our bringing our own sort of prejudices and yeah. kind of inherited biases to these two words, which actually, if you look at the de- uh, definition in the dictionary, there's really not much to choose between mm. them. They're really defined very similarly with only... The only difference is that the chef is makes reference... The definition makes reference to restaurant and hotel and right. cook is a person who cooks often as a job. Mm. So mm. This, they're so interchangeable, yeah. but... Not in this country. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, cook implies more of a passion. Yes, yeah. Because oh, like you can be you can be a chef and not initially be a passionate cook because you can just do it for a job and you may not like to cook mm. outside of your job. So, yeah, for me, it's a bit more of a feeling. Yeah, I think more motive. The reason I found it so such a useful lens for the book was because, and again, this was why I felt like a book like The Female Chef was was relevant and indeed um, necessary was because we talked, the editor and I talked about, you know, he'd done a book about female architects, for example. And I think his fear was, well, surely, um, you know, a lot of chefs, Claire Smith, for example, mm-hmm. doesn't like being called a female mm-hmm. chef for very valid reasons. She's a chef. And, you know, I think I think most people in the book would say the same thing. You know, they're not a female chef, they're a chef. And so the, actually coming up with the title was quite difficult for that reason. Um, but the whereas with women in architecture or women in law or women in banking, you know, you can, the two are quite separate. You know, your, your gender is irrelevant if you're a banker, really. Whereas with cooking, we're sort of, women have been in the kitchen the whole time, mm. you know, for years and years and years. And and even male chefs will credit the recipes of their mothers and grandmothers. Mm. So mm. we are so intertwined, you know, biologically intertwined as well as socially intertwined with food that separating food and femininity is, the two are inextricable. Mm. And that's why I thought this could be an interesting yeah. and relevant book. Yeah. And all of that is so interesting when you then add on to it this sort of stereotype, I suppose, of professional kitchens being tied up with masculinity. Mm. And that's where it all starts to get complicated. And yes. Mm. Very, very intricate. You, in, I think you say in the introduction to the book that, going to look at these stats, you say about the number of chefs in the UK that in 2010, 22% of chefs in the UK were female. In 2018, that had gone down to 17, mm. which is A, surely going the wrong way, obviously. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I'm interested to get a take from both of you about why that would be and where you feel that number would be now. Chantal, why do you think those numbers have gone down? I have a, my, a slight theory on this, um, which is that I I guess a, a portion, a bit of blame in some senses to the way it's portrayed in the media, especially mm-hmm. on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and those Still, do you think? Programs that... Um, you know, showed kitchens as being really awful places. And I think that as a parent, if you were watching those and your daughter came to you and said, you know, 
mum, I, I really want to be a chef. I really want to go work in one of those kitchens. You kind of perhaps say, well, why don't you try something else, you know, that's a bit more, you know, um, inclusive potentially. Um, so I think that there is, you know, parents do have a lot of sway in what, what their kids end up doing. And I think that that never portrayed it as being a good career path. Do you think um, that's still the case, that it's represented in the media as being this sort of, you know, you know, let's get it out there, it's kind of, you know, macho, it's angry, it's sweary. Mm. Do you think it's still, that is still the common media perception? Potentially. I mean, I don't watch a lot of sure. kind of TV myself, but I think, you know, the movie that's just come out, Boiling Point, is probably actually, you know, on that same narrative. Mm. And I think I find it a little bit frustrating that those of us that have been trying to change that narrative, it's kind of just... Bang smack in the middle, kind of brought to the fr- brought to the forefront again. Yeah, I think I interrupted you. Was that the end of your theory? That was one of the, <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was one of my theories. Um, and I think also if we look at and this is very gender stereotyping here, but I think that you know traditionally females are a bit more academic, so therefore the natural progression for them is to go into more of a you know if it's um, further education. Um, you know, for me in particular, it wasn't ever discussed to do anything that wasn't going to university after high school. And that's not a criticism, it's just, that was just the way it was. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. And I think that there is, you know, if you look at people, I guess, females going into the industry and then females that are, remain in the industry are probably two slightly different mm. subjects as well. Because I think there is, you know, that kind of elephant in the room is how do you have children as a female when you need to be working mostly evenings or, you know, be on your feet and all those sorts of things. So I think there are some kind of practical reasons for it, yep. but I think also the, um, yeah, it can be, I, I've been in kitchens and it's interesting, I've been in kitchens semi-recently um, where I have, they've been, I guess, quite laddy is probably the word I would say. Um, and it kind of just took me by surprise because I think I'd been away from that for so long that kind of part of me just thought, you know, obviously yeah. the way I run my kitchen, et cetera, it's, it's quite a different way and, and kind of had forgotten that potentially that still is is out there. Yeah. And it's not a, you know, there's kind of not an intentional um, barrier, but it's just the way it is, is, is quite a, you know, there is a bit of a barrier for females in those types of environments because it's just, they just don't feel comfortable. Yeah. I think you, I mean, I know when we spoke, I think you'd got to 70 30, mm. 70% women, 30% men in your, in Treadwells. Mm. And, you know, it's a, it can be a, a sort of vicious cycle downwards or a positive cycle upwards. If you have more women, you get more women. And mm. if you have less women, you get less women, mm. I guess. it's. I think so. I think if you, and obviously my head chef is a female as well. So I think if you have, I think there's just a level of, security that's probably quite unconscious that mm. you know I guess the females come in and they're like okay I know this is going to be an inclusive environment that I will be looked after and nurtured and yes you know, that kind of um scenario versus one where you're just there's not quite that same mm. um yeah initial kind of gelling in some senses yeah yeah absolutely um I think I mean I would say and I know we discussed this when we had our interview, I think media representation has a lot to mm. yes, play. Yes, it's another, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Because, you know, and God, she did a fantastic job, but really the only female spokesperson for the industry 
during the course of the pandemic was Angela Hartner. Mm. Everyone else was a male, was mm-hmm. a man. Every every newspaper article quoted men. And, you know, I have and to And when struggle. they do talk about Angela, it's always, the, the words Gordon Ramsay and then mm. too far behind. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. It's, you know, why is she still referred to as, you know, protégé or... Yeah. <laughs> It's insane Mm -hmm. when you think about it. And I think it's it's all too easy. And I see I find this myself as a journalist, it's almost all too easy to reach for the male quotes. Because Mm -hmm. it's a it's just this kind of cumulative cycle whereby they're what's offered to you, you know, the the PR companies, it's no one's doing it, no one is intentionally excluding women, but there's an unconscious bias, hundred percent, yeah. in the media and in opportunities and in yeah across the board. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you really only have two female chef faces on TV who were chefs rather than you know food writers and. Who's the other one you were saying? Uh, Monica Galletti. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, and and again, it's there isn't that representation of what what the kitchens that we. I'm torn on this because part of me feels so positive and Anna Jones talks about how, you know, if people like James Lowe and Karen Setti and um, kind of Jeremy King, those restaurateurs have been around, um, as well as, you know, the woman as well, the woman, female restaurateurs, she might well still be a chef because mm. she'd feel so much more welcome in those environments. Mm. Um, but, and so I think it's easy to feel in that bubble that we are inevitably in where we're like but look at all these wonderful wonderful kitchens mm. but actually very little of that filters to the filters to tv and filters to the newspapers i think yeah going to go back to something which you said a little while ago Chantal, which struck me as one of you know, there are several broad themes that come through in um the female chef which i would love to kind of get your take on Claire, how you felt as you were going mm. through about what, what these themes were um but one of them that struck me was is interesting to me that you said it, that for quite a number of these women and therefore maybe it's indicative much more broadly, they came to chefing, they came to food after something, certainly after higher education. And, you know, Asma Khan, you know, law, yourself, law, Mm -hmm. is that right? Mm -hmm. Anna Jones, you know, she's doing Mm -hmm. financial PR. You know, it's, it's coming after something. It's not a natural choice. It's one of the themes coming through as a first job in the way that it might be for guys. Mm. And it's interesting that that's one of the things that you sort of touched on as being. And and the reasons behind that, and you've drilled into one of them, which is potentially about you know, parental take on what it's like working in the kitchen, how, how hard it would be and the chances of success. But I'm very interested about what makes a woman, maybe especially in this context, be in law, be in architecture, be in financial PR, be in banking, any of these things which you know, these women have been doing and then go, do you know what? No, I'm going to do something else and then turn to food. What do you think is behind that? Oh, gosh, that's a very good question, Angela. Um, I think there is a strong sense of connecting back. I would say, you know, you say what are um, some of the broader themes in the book and I think one of the overarching themes that kept recurring was this idea of connecting back to to your heritage, to your roots, to your mother, your grandmother, your aunts, your kind of 
I don't know. You the... guys are a dream to interview because you keep saying things that I've like I've got on my list to talk about. It's absolutely <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> and I keep thinking, no, no, don't say that yet. Don't say that yet. We're going to come to that. Jumping We're going to come ahead. to that. Gonna... No, no, no. Sorry, Claire, interrupted. Um, so there is very much that, you know, and, and I don't, I don't say that male chefs don't give credit where credit's due to the women in their lives. I think a good few of them do. Um, Raymond Blanc is a classic example, but. Um, there is a lot of these chefs make it very explicit that they are, you know, representing generations of women who have gone unrecognised, who have nurtured their families and their communities through, throughout the centuries and feel a very strong sense that they are uh, representing them at the past. And so there's an element of kind of reconnecting with... But do you think in some ways that... I'm going to say this in a slightly crass way to make my point... Mm. Um, do you think there's a sort of media societal pressure of, you know, you are woman, you are family, you are going to talk about your family and your heritage in a way that that pressure wouldn't be put on men to do? Yes. Yes. I prob- I would imagine that it's a question that comes up more. Uh, it's, I don't know, I mean, you're, you're the one to say, Chantel, but um, I can imagine it's not far behind what's it like being a woman in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite true, yeah. And I'd is that annoying? Um, in some senses, I think it, the annoying part is sometimes, as Claire referred to, is that sense of the go-to, you know, yeah. and and what and what the expectation is of a male chef versus what it is of a female chef. I think is also quite an interesting dynamic, yeah. um, and behaviour that is excused for certain reasons for. Males, potentially, but not not for females. Some of which slightly blows my mind in 2022 that anyone thinks they can get away with treating people badly. Whether you're a man, woman, it's just just sort of extraordinary that any kind of work practice, life practice, bad behaviour is considered, you know, okay in certain Mm. context. Certainly not after naming names. Generally speaking... Is there still a kitchen culture, which is that shouty, sweary, you said laddie earlier. Is that still around? I think it is. I mean, I'm not probably the one to ask because I don't really expose myself to that or open myself up to those types of kitchens. Um, I think there are um, overhangs from the past that some people can't let go of. Yeah. And feel that that's the right way to do things. I think I, I can imagine that people are thinking that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you read that's about how it. I did it, so, therefore that's how you will yeah. do it. Or even going back to what you were saying earlier about the the media's perception and responsibility to kind of you know, channel accurate and positive mm. messaging. Mm. You know, well, that's what I saw him do, and that's how if you're going to be at the top, that's how you do it. There's a line. Um, Chantal, from your interview in Claire's book, The Female Chef, which really struck me. Um, you're talking about you know, your time at Petrus and you're saying you were on your bike cycling there. <laughs> you oh know, God. I know. I'm sorry, you said it, love. <laughs> I did, yeah. It's true, it is true. Um, you said uh, a version of, and it's pretty much what you said, that you were cycling to work, almost wishing you were going to get knocked off your bike so you didn't have to go. Mm-hmm. That's... Yeah, I can remember where I was at that time as well. Yeah. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? You know, we're yeah. laughing, but it's actually not funny at all. No, and it did, yeah. I guess in hindsight, kind of looking back, it, you kind of think, well, how did I keep going when that's what I wanted to do? Um, 
Why did you keep going? Why didn't you go, do you know what? I, I don't, I think there was parts of me that felt, and maybe this is the female part in me, that, you know, there were kind of, there was certain behaviour that was happening that if I didn't help alleviate it, then the consequences would be worse for people. Yeah. So I guess taking responsibility for those, you know, younger, more kind of vulnerable yeah. male chefs, effectively, um, that I felt that, you know, and I needed to show up because if I didn't show up, then they would just, that would be it for them in some senses. Um, you're taking me somewhere else I wanted to go, which um, is thinking about uh, collaboration and support within the industry and maybe thinking especially about women with women in that front. And um, we were chatting downstairs just before we started this. Um, and Chantal, you were telling you a lovely story about Asma Khan, who's also in the book, and the nature of your relationship, which is based on something of support. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that in detail if you want to, or more broadly, I'd love to get your take and then come to you, Claire, from what you've experienced in the book and otherwise from your career, of women supporting women in the food industry. Yeah, I think it's it's probably quite mixed. It is very, obviously, person-dependent. Um, but I think from my perspective, going back to, yeah, I, I kind of helped Esma open Dajilin Express when she moved into Carnaby Court. Um, and, yeah, I guess I saw someone that was, you know, doing something pretty great and interesting and just wanted to support in any way I could because I also knew that potentially what I could offer would be a huge help from someone that didn't necessarily have that experience in the industry. Um, And it was, even for me, it was a really rewarding, lovely experience because to be part of that kitchen with her, you know, amazing chefs was just, you know, the energy was incredibly lovely. And I think for me, it was very much of, yeah, potentially, you know, giving my time, but actually the reward for me was was just as great. Um, And I think it is you know, really wanting to offer support to those that don't necessarily, you know, have the experience or have had, you know, I count myself very lucky in the way I grew up and all those sorts of things. It doesn't necessarily have that to be able to then, yeah, I guess, help them succeed. And I think the more we see females succeed, that you know, the better things are going to be as well. And the food writing perspective, I was saying to Georgina Hayden the other day when we were recording one of these podcasts that when I came into food, I used to work in theatre and then I came into food and I was immediately struck by how um, supportive and collaborative the food writing was and it felt like people were willing to kind of make space. But then thinking about that, that probably was actually more the women than the men. Mm. Um, and I remember being very, very struck by that and it felt just felt incredibly welcoming actually and very much that thing of you know we can all the space the space for us all guys you know we can all we can all do this um claire do you how do you feel about that question about collaboration and support from having you know, spoken to these 31 incredible women i mean i was so struck by the spirit of collaboration to be honest there would be because i was doing these interviews in quite a short space of time and almost without exception a chef would say oh give my love to I'd say oh I'm interviewing you know Tommy Cena Myers next and you know whoever I was speaking to previously would say oh give her my love or mm. and then when I mean unfortunately I had to do most of my interviews over Zoom or phone call Chantelle was one of the few that I did face to face which was brilliant 
Um, but when Liz did the photography, she was being given bits of like food to take to like the next chef that she was going to photograph, so, you know, kind of saying, oh, can you just take some soup for, I don't know, for Ravinda or, or whatever. Like it was, she was overwhelmed. There was such a, a such a kind of shared spirit of um, working, to, being on the same page and wanting to make the industry better. I think the word that kept coming back to me and um, throughout the course of writing the book was this word holistic, like mm. the attitude that most of the chefs take in the book towards cooking and their restaurant is so holistic. It's very much across the board from what's on the plate right back to where it's mm. grown. Which is exactly what you're saying about yeah. electricity, isn't it? Mm. Very much that. Mm. And then, you know, but also thinking about the kind of the way staff are managed, thinking about work-life balance. And it's on so many levels, there is this holistic approach. There, There is the sense, the overriding sense, which I think is where this spirit of collaboration in part comes from, that the industry is not yet representative of the people who work in it. And, you know, it's still very much led by Pam Bruton of Inver talks about how the Michelin guide began before women had the right to vote so that's how well stuck we are really we still frame success in this industry through that prism and it hasn't really moved on that much which is why you know for example you don't see many female uh led restaurants in those in those guys because of the way in which that's filtered so i think it's a very long-winded way of saying, of making my point, but I think that... No, it's interesting. There is a really strong kind of and swelling feeling that we've now got the people in place. Increasingly, we've got the people in place, but we need the industry as a whole and the media representation of the industry as a whole to reflect yeah. that. And that's going to work by... That's only going to happen by working together and, you know, people like Chantel helping people like Asma as well, mm. I think. You know, it's, and it's very, I think I say in the introduction, very pop feminism of me. I'm not a <laughs> feminist academic, but it is this kind of second wave of inclusive feminism, I think, or third wave. I don't know. I'm not up speed on the waves, but <laughs> <laughs> it's another wave. It's another wave where it's like, okay, so now we've got women in top positions. Mm. Now we need to think about um, going forward. Yeah. Women across creeds and cultures yeah. and and also the the spread of it it really worries me that you know we're having this conversation in central london for borough market and chantelle you you know you have worked in these incredible restaurants you've had incredible restaurants and you're about to open an incredible restaurant in mayfair you know claire you've got these 31 remarkable women they're not all london based by any means there are mm. women across the country but i do wonder and worry about what this conversation would be like if you were in I don't know, Darlington. I'm from Blackburn, let's say Blackburn. You know, if you were in somewhere, well, it, just talking about more normal, for the sake of a much better word, restaurants about what that culture is like, women and the representation of, you know what I mean? We're having this conversation at quite a top flight, but mm. we, we've all heard all the numbers, you know, over the last couple of years about the, you know, the, the size, really, of the hospitality mm. economy and... Mm. I suppose what I'm really asking is how much do we feel the picture is the same or differs from the top flight conversations to that sort of 
wider breadth of what hospitality is experiencing for women? Chantal, looking at you, I'm afraid. Yes, um, that's a really good question. I think it is, you know, even if we look at it in the broader spectrum of hospitality, and it's not obviously just hmm. chefs, because you look at the, the broader, yeah. and again, and, and restaurateurs, and I think I made this point too clear that, you know, there is there's a very different level of, um, I guess, input potentially that females put into their businesses mm. from what I've seen, mm. especially with chefs, that there's, it's kind of a bit of a 360 approach, whereas I think it's, it's and this is generalising, but, you know, there is a much smaller um, wedge of that, that pie that, that kind of males mm. either choose to do or, or can do. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, yeah, really encouraging across the board in terms of um, kitchens as well as front of house, as well as everything else that goes into restaurants. Mm. Like, there's so many mm. other roles that people just don't mm. even factor in, especially when they're looking at career paths. Um, so I think that yeah, the kind of the louder the voice across the board, then hopefully yeah. the more it will encourage you know those youngsters to actually yeah. to come into the industry yeah. across the board, female and male, because right now we need we need everyone we can get. Well, this is interesting, and I was just about to come on to that because you know this is so we keep saying March twenty two, but I think it's important to kind of you know place the context of where we are because. Everything at the moment, everything is reopened and people can you know go out and have uh, wonderful times in restaurants. If they're open, maybe not at the same times as they used to be because there is still you know a challenge with staffing. And um, Chantal, I wonder if you can just talk our listeners through some of the challenges of why there are staffing problems in restaurants at the moment. I think it's a bit of a perfect storm. Um, obviously, Brexit has a huge part to play in it. Um, I, I was chatting to someone last night who... I met and they were from London. I said, I always, I always find it interesting when I meet people from London because in my, you know, in all the places I worked across the board, it was very rare that somebody would be from Actually London. from London, yeah. yeah. Because there were so many people from Europe or just from all around the world and it was such, there was always such a diverse range of kind of where people were from within a kitchen and in the front of house. Um, and obviously that's now been, you know, obviously it's the barriers to actually coming in a, a huge and obviously a lot of people went home mm. when the first lockdown happened and probably haven't returned um and then also i think when when covid hit and they all a lot of people found alternative jobs that they actually thought well it was kind of that sense of yeah i guess that kind of epiphany of why was i doing what i was doing before and not really getting enough from it in terms of whether it's money, whether it's, you know, kind of reward or whether it's your own time outside of work. Um, and I can do a, a job that actually I can dictate when I work and how I work and get paid the same. So why would I go back to it? Mm. And I think, you know, it was a shake-up and I think it was a needed shake-up because I think things were, you know, there were a lot of people that were kind of taken advantage of in the industry um, in terms of, you know, kind of working hours and even pay. Um, you know, some quite high-profile high restaurants that weren't even paying minimum wage when you looked at how many hours people were working, which I found ludicrous and, you know, just, yeah, really horrific in many ways. Um, so I think, yeah, that perfect storm of all those things combined meant that the pool was, was much, much smaller mm. for recruitment. Mm. Um, but I think actually there has been a lot of, positive fatigue come out of that because people are now being people have to pay more for their for the teams which is should have happened anyway 
Um, restaurants aren't necessarily opening seven days a week, which, you know, I kind of made a promise to myself during COVID that I would never open a restaurant seven days a week again. Oh, really? Because just the mental kind of strain of it was just, you know, it just wasn't sustainable. Um, and we talk about sustainability in other ways. It's like actually, you know, kind of mental health and well-being is one of the most important things. Um, and every other industry has two days off in a row together every week um, to spend with friends and family. So why should we not have the same in our industry? So in some ways I think it's, yeah, it has brought about some needed changes. Um, and changes which may benefit women coming into yeah, or staying so. within the yeah, sector. Yeah, potentially. And I think that it has, um, yeah, I guess that the ones that weren't necessarily doing the right thing have had to probably pull their socks up a bit and, and do a bit more of the right thing. To, to kind of actually make, keep keep their teams. Mm. Um, I'm aware of time and so much kind of wants to talk about, but um, I think our listeners might like to know how you both kind of got into what this being what you do. We talked about you know, being uh, you know, people doing other things, and you touched on it, Chantal. But I think it'd be really interesting to so our listeners just kind of know how how this came to be. What you two women do. Chantelle, I'm going to start with you. So how, how did this come to be what you do? You touched on it, but let's go into it Yes, I think I, um, yeah, was at high school, didn't really know what I wanted to do next, um, but the intention was that I would go to university. Um, so I... In New Zealand. In New Zealand, sorry, yes. So I, um, I knew which university I wanted to go to, which was down the opposite end of the country and was a great student town. Um, so I knew where I wanted to go. But I didn't know what I wanted to study. And so I thought I'll do something that's kind of quite broad and that I can potentially then, you know, not necessarily have to make a decision too much about the rest of my life right now. Um, so I did law and what was then called commerce, which is now kind of management, I guess. Um, but partway through that, obviously needed a job, was kind of, yeah, racking up a rather large student loan and thought, well, I want to do something that's actually I'm interested in. So there was this lovely little cafe in the town Dunedin, where I went to university. And I just walked in one day with my CV and said, look, I've got no experience, but I really love to cook. Um, we cook a lot at home. Yeah, and, and, oh, it's flatting then, so obviously that okay. was... But I'd, I'd always cooked a lot as a child um, and growing up because also, I mean, one part of it was in New Zealand we don't have school dinners, so you have to make your own lunch. Right. So for me to have something that was kind of delicious in my lunch. I, I had to make it myself. So that, I think that's, it kind of was born out of necessity in some ways. Um, so, yeah, and, and they said to me, oh, well, we were literally about to put an ad out for a weekend cook. Um, so we're happy to, to kind of give you a go. Um, so, yeah, I started, yeah, I used to start at 6 a.m. on a Saturday, which for a student was quite a yeah. um, <laughs> quite a task. Um, and it was just lots of baking. So I did lots of kind of muffins and cakes and quiches. And then... Really loved it, and obviously our summer holiday big long break came up, so applied for an actual, applied to a restaurant just actually as a kitchen porter, um, and they basically just took me on as a chef, and then just I just kind of it just went from there, and I was working, I enjoyed it so much more than what I was studying, so I I literally ended up working full time. Um, did whilst you finish your kind degree? of studying? I did, yeah. While studying on the side, but yeah, I, I kind of did what I needed to pass. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, just definitely weren't flying colours there. <laughs> but <laughs> I think because my attention was on what I was doing, yeah. and I really enjoyed it. I was, you know, earning money for it also, which was quite helpful. Um, and it was just a really, yeah, just kind of really opened my eyes and and made me think this is potentially what I want to do. Yeah, I'm sure you get asked this. Um, a lot, but for any 
woman, not necessarily a woman even, who's listening to this and thinks, that is the kind of chef I want to be. You know, thinking back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast about apricity and you know, your intentions and all the values that you hold and therefore the restaurant will hold. Someone who's looking at it going, that's the kind of chef I want to be. What would be your advice? Just don't overthink it and just get stuck into a kitchen. Just find a nice kitchen with a, you know that actually values the team and just get stuck in straight away. Don't, yeah, I think I was very, in, in reflection, I was very lucky that I was very naive about what I was coming into when I got, so I got the job at the Savoy Grill in London, which is why I moved here, um, and had no, didn't fathom. You moved here how, for the Savoy yes, Grill I did, job? Yeah. Okay. So I didn't, yeah, I had no idea about what I was getting myself into. I had no idea what Michelin stars were. I had no idea what, who, half. I knew who Gordon Ramsay was, but that was it. And yeah, so just kind of naively showed up on my first day. <laughs> I think I had red trainers on and I, you know, I was just like, right, yeah, I'm here for a job. Um, yeah, and, and in hindsight, if I'd kind of, if I'd thought about it too much, I don't think I would have done it. Yeah. So yeah, that, that naivety was kind of yeah. a blessing. Claire, I'd love to, you know, for you to just tell us a little bit about how this got to be what you do. Um, I, always, I, I always say it's very boring. Basically, I've always wanted Should to... Should we skip it? <laughs> <laughs> Should we skip it? <laughs> yeah. Pass. Um, I've always wanted to write ever since I can remember. So I did the very predictable English at university, then did. And then I thought, I just... I couldn't... Initially, I wanted to be an author. And then I thought, well... You are an author, don't you? Oh, I am now, yeah. aren't I? Which yeah. is nice. But, but do you mean a novelist? Yes, I wanted to be a novelist, okay. but then I thought, oh, I don't have enough ideas, so I'll have to be a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> so, study journalism. And then and then my first ever job, which whilst I was still studying at Goldsmiths, was at, with the publishing company that does Market Life magazine, um, as well as a number of other magazines. And you can't help but fall in love with Borough Market. And the more... I wrote about food and the more I met the people there and the more I met people in food generally, like you said, Angela, earlier, it's such a welcoming, collaborative space. But it's also, everyone is just so excited all mm. the time. <laughs> it's great. And as someone whose default position is quite excited all the time, I just feel like I found my people. Everyone's just... Found your tribe. Yeah, because no one... No one's like, oh my god, another bloody flan. Or maybe they are, but I think generally speaking, <laughs> people are excited to be yeah. working in something that's as, as enjoyable as food mm. and as. So, Borough was your way mm. into the food aspect of it, not yeah. the writing aspect, obviously, but it was through Borough that it, the, the that food became, became food. your focus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Mm. Um, I think I, you know, I still like to. I, st I suppose I was having this conversation with my brother the other day because I still refer to myself as a food journalist rather than a food writer. Why is that? We talked about mm, chefs and cooks. Why know, journalist rather than writer? Well, I, actually, you do write for a lot of publications. Yes, right? That's... yeah, I do a lot of mag magazines and newspapers. But I think it, I think I am bringing my own prejudice to it. I think I forgive me. <laughs> see, writer is a bit more kind of like airy fairy. <laughs> Just the I feel like the wheels are coming off. This I know. Very fast. <laughs> I feel. I don't know why I have that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to stop now. It's interesting. It is really, really interesting. I, yeah. yeah. From an outside, I would say journalist is a bit more technical, mm. whereas writer is a bit more 
it's a bit more kind of romantic and emotional. It's more romantic, mm. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and I suppose this part of me, again, I think probably chefs do feel like this, which is, you know, I've trained and yeah. I want right. to be... interesting. I want people to... I don't want people to know that everybody I've trained, I should, you should know, but I think I do feel like... Well, I did train as a journalist. Yeah. Mm. I didn't train as that either, so maybe that's why I don't want to be called a chef or a journalist. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I've trained at nothing. I'm just sort of, you know, pitched up. Um, but also, I'm going to you know, just really big you up, Claire, because for anyone who foolishly hasn't read any of your work, I think you are just such a gorgeous writer. Oh, I agree. You really are. You yes. are witty and pithy, and you get the nub of something, and you are such a joy to read. Yes, oh, and you're the, the, you're the excitement embodied. You embody it in your <laughs> yeah. writing. Oh, yeah. that is... Well, gosh. Um, and, I, and I think that really comes through in you know, The Female Chef. But anyone who's enjoyed the conversation, I really hope you have, because I've really enjoyed having it with these two lovely ladies. You know, the Female Chef book you know, bursts out of its covers with exactly this spirit of um, joy in what you do and insight and really kind of you know, getting to the heart of the people behind the food. Um, and so it's a book that's well well worth the read. Um Chantelle, I can't wait to come to Pristy. Yes. Oh, thank you. Huge, huge luck with it. I hope it goes thank brilliantly. Thank you very much. Well, um, Claire, lovely to see you thank as you. ever. Um, and thank you all very, very much for joining us for um, today's Borough Talks. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with more Borough Talks soon. A reminder that Borough Market is now open seven days a week. For those who can't make it down here, you can still enjoy the best of Borough at Borough Market Online with nationwide delivery. You can head to our website for more information, subscribe to our newsletter. There are lots of recipes and features on the Borough Market Traders.